Welcome to Arab Talk on KPOO, San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Jessen Jamal uh, on Arab Talk. I'm Jess Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we got uh, a lot to talk about today. I'm going to talk a little bit about my trip to uh, to, to Doha in, in Qatar. Which well, well, that's that's why we called the show News right. from Qatar. And just want to tell our welcome our uh, listeners on KPO 89.5 FM and our viewers on Facebook Live. We have Facebook Live. We also yes, just returned from a week or so. I've been here. I've been back for almost a week now. Yeah. Yeah, from from Qatar. So he has a lot to talk about, about the situation, about how people are very nervous uh, in that part of the world about what's going on in uh, Yemen and in Saudi Arabia. Well, yeah, that's right, Jamal. And I have to tell you that, you know, I've been going to, the, you know, as you have, I've been going to that part of the Arab world for many, many years now. Uh, you and I have traveled there. We've traveled to Obviously, Palestine, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, the whole area. This is the first time I've been back to the Gulf area, to uh, to Doha, probably, I would say, in about a year. And it's certainly the first time that I've been there since the brutal murder and assassination of uh, the the uh, Saudi journalist who is a re- who was a resident of the United States, Jamal Khashoggi. Right. And um, since I've been there last, a couple of things have happened. He's been brutally murdered and, you know, clearly by all accounts, by the direction uh, of the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Qatar continues to be under blockade from Saudi Arabia, from the Emirates, uh, from uh, Bahrain and some of the, from Egypt from other Arab uh, allied countries with Saudi Arabia. And then while I was there, Qatar pulled out of OPEC. So there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of concern. And I will tell you that there's actually a lot of anxiety. I spoke to journalists. I spoke to people affiliated with uh, the associated and affiliated with the royal family. I spoke with Qataris, everyday Qataris. And I'll tell you, Jamal, people are nervous. People are anxious and people are concerned about what is happening in terms of the global dynamics and global political scene in terms of what uh, Donald Trump has created, uh, which was already kind of a difficult, if not messy, political situation in the region, has made it even more difficult and even more unnerving for everyday Qataris. So you've, uh, you were there and you were actually, were you there during the Gulf, uh, when the leaders of the Gulf Arab countries uh, met? Yeah. Uh, and uh, of course, Qatar boycotted this. Uh, they met on Sunday in Saudi Arabia's uh, capital for a regional summit. Yeah, I happened to be there uh, that particular day also. And uh, as it turns out... Um, the reporting of this in the Qatari news uh, was very interesting to me. And again, in speaking with everyday Qataris, Qataris are now seeing the political alignment in the region where they, you know, the, the kind of um, uh, royal family and, and, and Qataris are seeing themselves in this kind of third space. You know, the way typically things have aligned themselves in that region, Jamal, is that you're either on the side of Saudi Arabia or you're on the side of Iran. 
And that's kind of the way the political dynamic in terms of the proxy wars have divided in the region. Qatar doesn't see itself in any of those uh, camps right now. Doesn't necessarily see itself lined with the strategic interests of Iran, although it does have good trading relations with Iran. I I should point that out. Mm -hmm. There's a very active and good trading relationship that goes on with Iran. They are deaf, but they are not, you know, in that uh, political, uh, they're not in the the same political interests. They definitely have seen themselves more alienated and opposed to the Saudi interests in the region. And the Saudi interests both in Syria and in Yemen are seen by the Qataris as deeply problematic. So the Qataris are trying to form, Jamal, their own vision, their own political strategy, their own political interests. You know, they have, for example, to give you an idea, they have uh, three former Taliban who were negotiated to get a, get out of Guantanamo Bay, who live in uh, Doha right now, who are actively negotiating with the United States uh, on a peace deal in Afghanistan. And uh, that's very, very different from anything else that's going on, either from the Iranian side or the Saudi side. They're trying to forge their own political strategic interests. Now, the other thing that's interesting about Qatar is you think, oh, oil prices have come down. They're not in OPEC anymore. Is that going to be a problem? And for the Qataris, it's not because Qatar's GNP, GDP, is based primarily on natural gas. It's not based on oil. They are the largest natural gas producer and exporter in the world right now. So they're, the 80 to 90% of their income comes from natural gas and not from petroleum. Mm-hmm. They also have the largest U.S. military installation in the entire Middle East right now. There's 10,000 military personnel in the large U.S. base in Qatar. It's a staging ground for all activities in, in the Middle East and to some extent in Africa. So it seems like the Qataris are trying to forge their own you know, their own uh, strategic political, uh, you know, uh, interests that are not aligned with the Saudis Mm -hmm. and not allied with the Iranians, which is, as I said, the typical kind of, you know, way it's divided in that region. That's right. Uh, But there are a couple of things uh, that uh, you notice on the news when you watch, um, for example, Al Jazeera or other media outlets uh, controlled by Qatar. One, there is a war of information going on between Qatar and Saudi Arabia uh, vis-a-vis the conflict in in Yemen and also the whole issue of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's something, it's a subject of major discussion on Al Jazeera and other uh, other networks trying to uh, take a very strong position against uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Right. And and then also, uh, I don't know if you noticed this when you were on the ground, but there is a, a uh, I would say, a fear uh, on the Qatari side that maybe Saudi Arabia might, uh, not only it will interfere internally uh, inside Qatar, but then even the possibility of launching a war uh, against Qatar. Well, it's very interesting that you bring that up, Jamal, because I would say that um, for the first time, and I've been to I've been to Qatar quite a bit. This is the first time that I heard from Qataris a uh, real, legitimate concern and anxiety about um, uh, some sort of military or paramilitary 
paramilitary activity or effort of the Saudis against the Qataris. There is a real concern among everyday Qataris that at some point in the future, they have not ruled out the possibility of a military strike of some kind uh, uh, against, uh, against uh, Qatar. And it wouldn't be that difficult, frankly, to be honest. I mean, the Qatari army is very small. Qatar itself is very small. The Saudi military is massive in comparison. And if you know the geography and the map, I mean, Qatar is this small little thumb, you know, on the uh, on the Arabian Peninsula, and it is dwarfed, dwarfed significantly by uh, Saudi Arabia. So there's the concern that if if things get even more tense, that there's the possibility of some sort of military engagement that the Saudis would 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 militarily attack. Of even greater concern, Jamal. And this has to do with the Saudi double dealing and kind of, you know, um, and the way they talk about it is that Mohammed bin Salman has joined the thugs club of world leaders. So he is feted by, you know, Vladimir Putin at the G20. He is celebrated by, still celebrated by Donald Trump. And of course, Mohammed bin Salman's biggest advocate in the region happens to be Bibi Netanyahu, uh, the Israeli prime minister. So you have these four thugs kind of in a club together that, that support each other and get away literally with murder. So Qataris are now concerned. We know that the World Cup is is coming to Doha uh, in, in 2020. There's a concern, and I should say real legitimate concern, of paramilitary uh, and, you know, kind of cells within Qatar that could be released by the Saudis that could cause fear and anxiety you know, cause cause da- you know damage because they'll they'll kind of have car bombs or bombs will go off, and this will scare people away from coming to Qatar for the World Cup, which is really for the Qataris. So what you're actually saying that the Qataris believe that there are Saudi sleeper cells. Yes, they believe that. They do believe that. And 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 they're there to disrupt the yes. upcoming World Cup in yes. the country. They actually do believe that. And um, I mean, this is uh, no. I mean, it's a big is, deal. This is a big deal because we don't hear about this. Uh, no, you won't anywhere. You won't hear about this anywhere else, Jamal. That's that's part of the thing that I'm trying to say. You will not hear about this anywhere in the in the media here because it's not being covered, and they're not. They don't have the kind of uh, media presence, obviously, or people on the ground in Qatar to really, you know, hear and talk about you know, what everyday Qataris are worried about. I mean, there's a real concern. Tensions are very, very high right now uh, between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, as you know, together with its, uh, with its partners in the UAE, are leveling a absolutely catastrophic and devastating uh, military campaign, you know, in Yemen right now. You have 80,000 you know, Yemeni children right now who are literally starving to death. You have blockades of food, water, and medicine that uh, most uh, people in Yemen do not have access to. You have military attacks. I mean, it's an absolutely catastrophe of what's happening in Yemen right now. And this effort, even publicly, is being supported by President Trump and by Secretary of State Pompeo. 
The Qataris are saying, what's going on? This is just destabilizing the region even more. Why? I mean, you have Syria that's destabilized. You have Iraq, which is still destabilized. You have, you know, Afghanistan, which going, is going through its own process. And now you have the United States engaging actively in an effort to destabilize Yemen with the help of Saudi Arabia. Well, we should also uh, uh, update our listeners that Congress now basically has passed right resolution condemning, you know, our involvement in Yemen, or basically not condemning, but also saying that the United States should not support Saudi Arabia militarily. Of course, I think even though, I mean, I, I believe it's... Uh, a little bit too late for that. It is too late, Jamal. So Saudi Arabia has all the weapons and all the ammunition necessary to basically continue bombing Yemen sure. and, and continues to do so. Sure. Don't take this the wrong way. Uh, but um, I don't think the people in the Senate really care about what's happening in Yemen. I don't think the Congress really cares, minus a few people, what's happening in Yemen. This is a political statement, I believe, that they're trying to make that goes against Donald Trump, who together, with, again, with Mike Pompeo, and the, who's the Secretary of State, who continues to throw their support for the crown prince in Saudi Arabia, as well as, and they came out this week, as you know, redoubling their support for what Saudi Arabia and, and the UAE is doing in Yemen. And for the United States to do that, Jamal, for, 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 the, for the U.S. president and, and for the secretary of state to continue to support this murderous, you know, catastrophic destabilization of Yemen is absolutely, you know, abhorrent. It's, ab it's just terrible to see that the United States foreign policy is creating death and destruction and destabilization and yet another Arab country. So my question for you, Jamal, is when has a destabilized Arab country been good for the United States? Did destabilizing Iraq have any benefit for the United States? Does destabilization in Syria have any benefit to the United States? Do they really think that this effort that they're engaged in with Yemen right now, which will completely destabilize it, is going to be good? Well, I mean, Come on. let's stop the, you know, I mean, and this is not in support of Saudi Arabia. Let's stop the charade and the hypocrisy. Because if the U.S. Congress cared about human rights, about the safety of the citizens of uh, the Arab world, they would have passed a similar or they would have held Israel to the same standards. Absolutely. You know, when they talk about, because the whole thing, you know, uh, came about because of the murder of Khashoggi. Right. And how many Palestinian journalists were murdered, murdered by Israel? If we talk about uh, attacks on or systematic attacks on Palestinian journalists, Israel's name comes first. If we talk about genocide, Israel's name comes first. If we talk about violation of human rights, Israel's name comes first. If we talk about apartheid, if we talk about violations of UN Security Council resolutions, it all, all the roads lead to Tel Aviv. That's right. And now for the U.S. Congress to single out Saudi Arabia, and I'm saying Saudi Arabia is not innocent, but the hypocrisy yeah. 
And the ch- the charade, the level of the hypocrisy and the charade is astounding. Yeah. To even you know hear, listen and see these congressmen and senators standing, you know, like all of a sudden now, they care about Yemen. Some of the, some of them didn't know where where Yemen is located on a map. Well, but, but uh, now all of a sudden they just come about and start talking about it. Yeah, I really do not believe. As I said, Jamal, I really do not believe that the Congress – I'm not going to say this about everybody in the Congress, in the House, and the Senate, but the overwhelming majority, not only do they not know where Yemen is and not only do they not know the history of Yemen, but I'm, I really doubt that they care about the everyday sufferings, devastating suffering that uh, people of Yemen are going through right now. So the double standard is obviously there. Um, but I am quite concerned <coughs> excuse me, I am quite concerned, frankly, about the level of anxiety, worry, and fear. I was actually um, you know, I have to be careful talking about this, but there are a few Saudis in Qatar right now, and um, you know, because they do definitely feel like their life is in danger. They feel, and I think that every Saudi feels this. I think even Qataris feel this. So you think these the, the Saudis you're referring to are political asylumies? Or? They're, they're people who do not feel, well, you can call them what you wish. There are people who do not feel safe going back to Saudi Arabia right kind now. Kind of like Jamal Khashoggi, basically. Exactly. And um, let's not forget, it wasn't that long ago there was no Qatar and there was no Saudi Arabia. These are colonial abstractions and colonial constructions that came up after World War II. And between World War I and World War II, these are colonial constructions uh, based, you know, from the European powers. Um, You know, the the ruling family in Qatar, two of the big royal – two of the three big royal families – in Qatar actually are from, you know, the land that is now Saudi Arabia. So there's a lot of, obviously, you know, tribal and historical overlap there. Having said that, people are fearful about their lives. People are fearful that if they criticize uh, the crown prince, if they're critical of the government of Saudi Arabia, that grave bodily harm, that is death, or some sort of physical devastation will happen to them or their families. And that's a fear that happen, that everybody feels right now, whether wherever you are. And I think that's really tragic, that this level of fear and anxiety about speaking uh, is, is being turned up. It used to be, let's say, a level four or five out of 10, Jamal, you mm-hmm. know, as journalists in, in the region. Now I would say it's a nine out of 10. People are really worried about their lives. You're listening to the voice of my co-host, Dr. Jess Ghanam, who just returned from Qatar. He was giving us an update on the situation there and on the basically the sensitivity of the situation because of this whole thing with Yemen and Saudi Arabia. I would want to say just one more thing, if I may, because you know we're on this uh, we're on this question of like uh, the the crown prince and, you know, what's happening with the crown prince and and all of this. I do want to say that it was interesting that this week, Jamal, um, and I'm going to say this in the context of knowing that one of my predictions for 2018 is probably not going to come true. I'll get to that in a second. 
<laughs> we still have a couple of weeks. But uh, 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 Jared Kushner, who must be feeling incredibly nervous and anxious right now because of what happened to Michael Cohen, what happened to Paul Manafort, what happened to Michael Flynn, what happened to all these people who have been indicted and some of whom have been convicted and pled guilty to. Jared Kushner is on Fox Hannity show and is giving, throwing love and support for Jamal, uh, for uh, Mohammed bin Salman and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And it was just so unbelievably uh, disgusting. I mean, I don't have any other word for it that you have Jared Kushner, who's the son-in-law of the president, coming out and giving advice, political advice, about, you know, how we need to cultivate and support, you know, what's happening in Saudi Arabia right now. They're an important ally. They're economic, all this crazy stuff that he's advocating at a time when the entire world, Jamal, has come down negatively on the crown prince. Except for the United States and... And Russia. And Israel. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to add to your uh, prediction, but add to your analysis, Jess. If you look at the connection, of course, Jared Kushner, everyone knows that. He's the son-in-law of our president, Donald Trump. But also, he is, and this is not himself person, but the entire Kushner family, you know, they have strong relationship with Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh, yeah. That's an understatement. In fact, Bibi Netanyahu, when he used to come to the New York tri-state area, he used to stay at the Kushner's estate (laughs) in New Jersey and sleep in Jared Kushner's bed. I'm not making this up. This yeah. is where he used to stay that's very before dis- he became that's very prime disturbing. minister. That's very disturbing. So, but I was, know. so the connection, when you talk about MBS, and this is very important, MBS has two strong defenders. One is Benjamin Netanyahu, and then the other one is Donald Trump. And the connecting point between the two is Jared Kushner. That's right. So Jared Kushner plays an important role in this whole cover-up, and I call it a cover-up because it is a cover-up. we know that, C- that the CIA has all the evidence uh, pointing towards MBS. The Turkish government shared it with the CIA, with the CIA basically director when she went there. And they are doing everything possible because they have been, and I say they, again, this is the quadro connection, Netanyahu, MBS, Kushner, and Trump. Trump. They have been creating this new peace deal for the Middle East. Right. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking only about the Palestinian Israeli conflict. No, even the whole though, thing. Even though this is uh, what they've been talking about, the, you know, the deal of the century. The deal of the century is the reorganization of the power structure for the entire region stretching from the Mediterranean all the way to Iran and maybe even beyond. So even Iran and Turkey are part of this deal. That's right. They have uh, concocted a deal, I'm telling you, and the master mind behind this deal is Benjamin Netanyahu channeling it through Kushner 
to work it, you know, within uh, the U.S. And, of course, they know that the wealthiest country in the Middle East and, of course, uh, strategically and uh, politically and so forth influential is Saudi Arabia. And all of a sudden, this whole affair uh, with the murder of Khashoggi kind of threw this monkey wrench in their way and they're trying to to kind of untangle it. I don't think they'll succeed, but that's why you're seeing all these jockeying and perhaps, you know, for the very first time, even though it's very hypocritic, very hypocritical by Congress, they're kind of smelling the kind of the, the, you know, they're kind of uncovering what's going on. No, Jamal, I think you're exactly right. This is an attempt. This is not just about Palestine. This is about reshaping, reconfiguring, realigning, whatever word you want to use, dramatically restructuring the entire region from from Turkey all the way to uh, Oman it, it, and, and beyond. And, and absolutely. And the idea is, and our listeners need to know this, that to frame it as an Israeli-Palestinian peace plan is, is a complete joke because there are much broader, extensive, wide-ranging consequences. In fact, I'll go as far to say, Jamal, that this grand peace plan that's going to be unveiled in January has nothing to do with the Palestinians. It has nothing to do. And the Palestinians, in fact, have had zero input into this peace process that is going to be unveiled as a grand plan. I would not even be surprised that uh, there are no Palestinians from the PA. I mean, they may be able to drag some Palestinians from the diaspora, from somewhere, to stand, you know, as some sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, stand-in as a cutout, if you will, for the Palestinians. But our listeners need to know the Palestinians and the rest of the Arab world is not on board with this dramatic configuration. I'll tell you who is. Saudi Arabia is. Mm-hmm. UAE is. And... To talk about a thugs club, Egypt is. So you have uh, President Sisi, you have, uh, you have MBZ in the United Arab Emirates, and then you have MBS you know, in Saudi Arabia, Benjamin Netanyahu and Donald Trump. Now, if you put your full faith in this thugs club to bring peace to the Middle East, I don't know if you've drank the Kool-Aid, you're smoking something else, but this is not a peace plan don't believe the hype. This actually could have rather significantly dramatic negative consequences for the region for generations to come. You've been listening to the voice of Dr. Jess Ghannam, who has just returned from Qatar with the most recent updates. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. We are going to shift to... Discussing, but I do want to say one more thing, Jamal. Well, you said the one thing. <laughs> Let me say a second last well, thing. After your one thing, okay. we will be talking about about the um, the news. Sure, uh, but this, uh, this that, that we've been monitoring. Sure, but this from is a segue. This is a segue to the news. Okay, go okay, ahead. The, the 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 segue to the news in Palestine, which is which is related, because w- what's happening in Palestine right now? It, there's an inflammation. Uh, of things happening in Palestine right now. And I think it has to do with this so-called peace plan.
But I just want to say that one of my predictions that I made at the beginning of the year had to do with Jared Kushner. I believe that in 2018, he would be indicted by the special prosecutor or by the Southern District of New York. I am unhappy to say that I'm not optimistic that my prediction for 2018 will come true. Having said that, I'm absolutely confident that in 2019, we will see a time when Jared Kushner and the Kushner companies and Donald Trump and his children and the Trump Corporation and the Tr- and Trump Enterprises are going to be entering a phase where most likely many of these individuals are going to get indicted for some significant illegality. I don't think you're off the mark. Uh, I think uh, I think as we've been talking about it from day one, and we've seen maybe some of the actions uh, um, have been delayed. Uh, just yesterday, we've been talking about Trump's lawyer Cohen. Yeah, uh, he'll start commence. He just commenced actually serving his three years. No, sentence. he he doesn't start till March. Oh, till March. Yeah, he'll he, be serving he in March, ha- and he needs to pay a million plus dollars. Right. Michael Flynn is going to be tra- is going to be charged this week. Uh, Paul Manafort is going to be, there's going to be a a whole court hearing this week on Paul Manafort lying yet again to the special prosecutor. We have uh, Weisselberg, which is somebody we haven't talked about a lot, Jamal, but Weisselberg is this chief financial officer for Trump's corporations. And we'll get to that. He knows where the economic bodies are buried. Um... Uh, if I were Jared Kushner or the Trump children, I think I would feel, as we say in Arabi, Jamal, I would feel very nervous. I'm sure, I'm sure they are nervous. Yeah, because these, this, these, these illegalities, these thuggish behaviors, the, these criminal-like activities, I think the chickens are going to come home to roost on all of them. And they will. Uh, I mean, it looks like it, it, you know all roads lead to this. It's amazing that we actually have still an administration with so many indictments, uh, with so many people leaving. If you remember Trump, when he came into power, he was saying that he was going to hire the best people. Remember that? Yeah, only the best, Jamal. Only the best. Only only the best people are going to get hired here. Yeah, only the best. So those who have not been indicted and, uh, you know, they have been... Fleeing, they've been quitting. I know. And those who he, he who he did not fire. So between, if you count the number of those who have been indicted, the number of people who will be indicted sooner or later, those who left basically because they kind of realize, and then you know, just like our former Secretary of State Tillerson. Yes, Rex. Rex, and then he gets attacked by his boss as, uh, what did he call him, dumb as a stone or something like yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll use is, another word, yeah. But. Which is totally ridiculous. Yeah. And now you have basically, uh, like you said, the month, I think, of January, maybe February, we're going to see more indictments, and the news is tightening right. on this whole cabal. You know, the, 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 uh, the level of corruption 
is is uh, just beyond belief. Yeah, that's true, Jamal. And I think that one of the things you know that that's happening, and uh, we are just surmising this from our understanding, and this will lead to our discussion of what's happening in Palestine. Palestinians are not going to accept more subjugation uh, under the guise of a peace plan. They're not going to accept more occupation under the guise of a peace plan. Unfortunately, Palestinians had to learn the hard way from the Oslo Agreement over 20 years ago that the so-called Oslo plan turned out to be another opportunity for the Israelis to steal Palestinian lands and to occupy Palestinian land. Now, we have this pressure of the unveiling of the Jared Kushner plan, the Trump Kushner plan. I should have asked you earlier yeah. if the, the so-called deal of the century was a, uh, was a subject of discussion when we you were in Qatar. It was a subject of discussion. Uh, and, and what did the folks there think about it? I think it? people had the same ideas we talked about. Nobody believes it. I mean, the Qataris uh, have been trying to do what they can to support the rebuilding of what's been happening in Gaza. That, that becomes very complicated, um, needless to say. But the Qataris basically don't believe anything that MBS is doing or promoting or that Donald Trump is well, promoting. Well, I mean, they, fe they feel threatened, but I, I do think they, they have to walk a very fine, fine line. fine line because they are also dependent on the United States or on the strategic alliance with the United States. The United States, ha as, you, as you've mentioned, has one of the largest. No, the largest. The largest air bases. In the, in the region. In the region. By far. And, and they have strategic alliance... Well, let me, with the United States. No, and but that puts more pressure on the United States, Jamal. So how will the – you know, the question is how will the United States react should Saudi Arabia decide to interfere or invade Qatar considering both Saudi Arabia and Qatar are allies of the United States? It's a great question, Jamal. I think that's probably uh, probably one of the best questions, and you're exactly right. Qatar is dancing on a head of a pin, as they say, trying to walk a fine line. But I would put it back and I would say, who needs more than who needs more than the other, right? Because the Qataris do need the United States absolutely unequivocally for, you know, intelligence, for military, uh, economic issues, for all sorts of things. I think even our strategic alliance with them requires us to defend. Qatar should Qatar gets invaded. Well, that's where it gets complicated because, you know, the United States can't just pick up and leave Qatar because the amount of military presence in Qatar with over 10,000 U.S. military personnel and hundreds of uh, 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 cargo planes and hundreds of jets and, you know, just, you know, thousands of people of infrastructure running this huge military base. The United States can't get out of that, nor would they have any other place to go right away. Yet they, Trump's sweetheart is MBS. So having all that in where mind— does, Where do we stand? Where we stand is that, as I said before, the region and especially the Qataris, because Mr. Trump— President Trump is so unpredictable and MBS is so unpredictable. They don't know what to do. They're, they're trying to walk that line and be as strategic as possible. But you know what, Jamal? Knowing what President Trump has done in the past and how uh, mercurial he can be, how unpredictable he can be, you know, 
The Qataris are nervous, but I would tell you even the allies of the United States in the region, maybe not so much MBS, are nervous. Let me throw out something else. If Trump is only going to be around for two years, let's say, because the likelihood of him being impeached I don't think is very great. It may or may not happen, but most likely he's going to be around for two years. And then after that, most likely there's going to be an administration that is going to have a very different foreign policy. Does it make sense for the Saudis to hitch their wagon with Trump right now? Do you think that's such a great strategic you know, plan for them? Well, uh, my only answer, uh, as long as MBS is in charge, they will. Yeah. Because because of the action of uh, Saudi Arabia and, and due to uh, Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia now has become very toxic in the region, meaning Saudi Arabia does not have any friends except those, when I call them fake friends, who are financially dependent on it. That's so right. So when you talk about Sisi in, in Egypt and say, oh, yeah, he's standing by Mohammed bin Salman, he's only doing it because— He needs the money. He needs the money, including, uh, you know, when we talk about the Palestinian Authority, and that's why there is that split. Qatar supports Hamas in Gaza, Saudi Arabia supports Fatah in— The West Bank. In the West Bank. And without that funding— the authority will collapse because now they don't have any money from the United States. Right. And, and the only kind of sources of money they're getting uh, are from uh, the EU uh, and Saudi Arabia and then some other some other countries. So they buy their loyalty. Basically, lo- the loyalty in the Middle East will shift like the, the shifting, sand. The shifting <laughs> sand. And it's all tied to the money, the petrodollars. That's all that Arabia is willing to spend. And, and when this change, if, if for, for whatever reason, believe me, all the allies will be jumping ship well, so quickly. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up, Jamal, because I will tell you f- finally the fourth thing that I did hear about. And it's um, you're not, and again, this is something you're not going to hear about on, anywhere in the political analysis here, is that there was kind of a whispering going on that there are groups in Saudi Arabia among the other princes, they're not crown princes, but the princes among the 200 that uh, MBS imprisoned for that period of time and, 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 and took $100 billion from, that there is talk about maybe there's a coup coming in Saudi Arabia. And it happened before within yeah. the family. Yeah, yeah. So, But the fact that that, that campaign, that, that discussion, that idea of a possible coup d'etat against the crown prince is being heard in various places in the Gulf, to me, is kind of interesting. I don't know how, if you've been hearing that. In no, ter- no, abs- absolutely. And, and, and uh, you know, and that's why uh, Mohammed bin Salman, by the way, I mean, the Khashoggi thing, of course, it, 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 it shined the spotlight on how ruthless he is and how his intelligence services function. But this was basically his strength. You know, his strength was to eliminate all the opposition. That's right. He gathered all his cousins. He didn't care. These are his blood relatives. Imprisoned them. Squeezed them for money. 100 billion. uh, Took their passports. So many of them can't leave the country. So they cannot mount a revolution against him from outside, say, if they went to Europe or whatever. 
And the very few who are actually living outside, they cannot walk in now. Now they saw what happened to Jamal Khashoggi. They're not going to walk into any any Saudi embassy or consulate very soon to renew their passports. No. They are they are they can't actually travel. Yeah, they're stuck. So so this was part of of him com- basically consolidating his power. So I don't know. It's going to be very difficult unless it happened from within and from those who kind of managed to, uh, you know, rally some support within Saudi Arabia. I don't see this this will work uh, unless there was, a, a you know, an assassination attempt. And, 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 and Saudi Arabia has a history with this because if you recall, uh, King Faisal was uh, killed right. by his nephew. That's right. So, so yes, I agree with all. These are not rumors. These are these these are things that that may happen if they've managed to kind of outsmart uh, Mohammed bin Salman's uh, intelligence apparatus, which many will argue is not it, that good anyway. No, no. Which one? <laughs> I actually argue that on that level, it's aided by the Mossad and the CIA. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so that's that's another discussion. But we have. We should talk about Palestine. We have to talk about Palestine yeah. because events on the ground are deteriorating. Yeah, let's talk about that. Jamal, can and you give our listeners kind of the latest update about what's happening in Palestine well, right now? Well, I mean, it's very important, and I'll go with the latest, because the latest today, I mean, for the past few days, Israeli soldiers have been invading deep into the Palestinian Authority's heart, which is like Ramallah and other places. Uh, in fact, the Israeli military was 500 feet away from Al-Muqata, which is the presidential headquarter. This is where Mahmoud Abbas, Mahmoud Abbas's office, and sometimes he even stays there and sleeps there. Uh, it was a few feet away from the finance ministry, uh, right in the heart of Ramallah. Unbelievable. And they have conducted search operations. They have assassinated, according to them, to... Uh, uh, members uh, of uh, Fatah and, and, and one I think from uh, one member of Fatah one from Hamas who were supposedly or allegedly implicated in attacks on Israelis and and then as of today uh, there was a, a, a response from uh, the Palestinians there where they've attacked Israeli soldiers and so there was a shooting uh, near uh, 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 on a bus stop where uh, Israeli soldiers gather on Route 60. Two Israeli soldiers were killed and one was injured and which drove kind of made Netanyahu kind of came out and said, okay, we have to build more settlements. So this is his answer. So his response his to response is to build more settlements. His response is to build more settlements. Even though the settlements are the cause or the root cause of all of the disruption and all the, all the, all the attacks that go on there. That's right. And so the situation is, I think, in my opinion, number one, people who are familiar with our show and our discussions, and when I talk about the West Bank, you know, we talk about area A and B and C and whatever. All the attacks have been concentrated in Area C. Area C is the largest chunk of land that's supposed to belong to the Palestinians. To the Palestinians, part of the part of the state. The Palestinian Authority is basically relegated to the big towns like Ramallah, Bethlehem, and so forth. 
and that's outside area C, right? Jerusalem is E1. We're not even talking about uh, the Jerusalem area. So area C, this is where you have, where we currently have the highest concentration of settlements. That's right. And Israel should have handed Area C to the Palestinians more than 10 years ago. It, and Benjamin Netanyahu, instead of handing it back... Built more settlements. He, has been, he was building more settlements. So even the, the attacks before... Uh, uh, also, two days ago, there was an attack on, uh, on uh, uh, some settlers. Uh, uh, and so all these attacks have been happening in a territory that belongs to the Palestinians that was occupied in 1967, that during the Oslo Accords, it was um, on, you know, part of the agreement was supposed to be returned to the Palestinians. And yet Israel calls these, like if you look at the Israeli media today, and it's, it's amazing, I read from my Twitter feed, some of the reports, you know, you have Haaretz, which is a very progressive Israeli media. You have the Jerusalem Post, which basically is the Likud voice in Israel. The headline in uh, the Jerusalem Post. What's the Today's headline? terror victims, you know, and they talk about the terror victims. This is the headline. They don't talk about that they Wait are a minute. soldiers. The terror victims? Yes. They're soldiers. The, you know. They they talk uh, the same thing. Haaretz reports the news says attack on Israelis, and they don't mention that those Israelis happen to be soldiers, soldiers, part of the occupation army on occupied land, and you know nothing about the Geneva Convention, nothing about the rules of engagement, nothing about international law, nothing about international law. So they're trying to spin the news that these attacks are just kind of happening in a vacuum. And all of a sudden, Palestinians are going berserk, attacking Israeli civilians. These are soldiers. Imagine they saw they saw even within the news, if you watch Fox News, even CNN, they refer to these attacks as terror attacks. They don't talk about that this is occupied territory. They don't talk about the violation in transferring. Even even if you think about the civilians, uh, which are uh, the Israeli settlers, those are, those are uh, people who were illegally transferred into an occupied territory, which is a violation of the Fourth Geneva Convention. So I would pay you know close attention to the news because I think Israel now is making a move, not Israel, maybe I should say, Benjamin Netanyahu is making a move to claim Area C. So they've been playing footsie for the past 10 years, delaying and building, making facts on the ground. Now he has his 800 settlers and he wants more living there. The next action that's going to happen from uh, you know, from the side of Israel, from Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, we're going to wake up to the news when Israel will annex, just like it annexed Jerusalem, that they will annex Area C, and then all hell will break loose, in my opinion. I, I think mean, that's right, Jamal. I mean, this guy, instead of uh, de-escalating, he, you know, he's just escalating the situation. He's pushing the Palestinians' backs against the walls, appropriating more land, bringing more settlers, putting more soldiers on the ground. And if you are, 
you know, if you're a smart person, you're just going to look at this and you're going to say to yourself, you know what? What's going to happen? No, I think that's exactly. You're going to have a, no, I for think every right. action, there is a reaction. And this, this time, it's going to be a very violent reaction, in my opinion. I think you're exactly right, Jamal. And I think, again, putting this in the larger context, when is Benjamin Netanyahu going to have greater cover than right now? He has the cover of the President of the United States. He has the cover of the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. He has the cover of the President of Egypt. He actually has the implicit support from the uh, King of Jordan. You know... He's not, he's not getting anything from Lebanon. Syria is in disrepair. You, you could argue that from the point of view of Benjamin Netanyahu, when am I ever going to have this chance again to appropriate, steal more land and get away with it than right now at this historical moment? You're absolutely right. We're going to keep our eye on this situation. I think it's going to be escalating unless uh, we have interference from... Yes. From the outside, and I don't think the United States is going to be, and, and with, with Trump now under uh, all, with whole, all his issue and him pledging total uh, allegiance to Benjamin Netanyahu, no one is going to stop him. And uh, this guy, he just sees an opening and he's going to take it. That's right. And just drive the area to more blood. And destabilization. And de- destabilizations. So thanks. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Thanks for listening to Arab Talk. Be sure to visit our website, arabtalkradio.com, where you can both hear and watch the show. We live stream the show on Facebook at Jamal Dejani 2, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And you can listen live at uh, on the show, of course, on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. Also YouTube Live. And make sure, you know, you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our podcast through Apple or Google's podcast app. You can find all this information. On our website. On our website, arabtalkradio.com. Talk to you next week.